You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. What an honor and privilege it is just to be back, to be able to bring God's Word to you this morning. Uh, just give you just a quick update of what's going on in Pittsburgh. So grateful for the part that you guys had and play in that. Here's a picture of my family. Um, I was even thinking this morning, uh, five years ago, when you guys sent me out, and um, we celebrate our 50th anniversary as a church this year. And so grateful um, for your part in that, for giving us out. Our family pretty much the same. We added the one on top of my shoulder since uh, uh, five years ago. Um, But God has been very faithful to us. My wife and I celebrate our 15th anniversary this year. And um, we are just um, blessed and excited for what God is up to um, in Pittsburgh. So I think God has us there. Um, Just so you know, as you are a church planting church, that is our DNA also. And three years ago, we planted a church in Bemenda, Africa. And um, what a privilege it was. Just last month, I went back there and installed elders at that church. And so really, that makes you all grandparents, because if we're your children, they're your grandkids. And then this year, next year, um, Lord willing, we're going to plant a church in Greensburg, PA, which is about 30 minutes from us. And uh, we have a guy on staff right now who uh, we're training, and we're going to send him out. And so just as you guys are looking to continue to plant even in your area, uh, that is what God has laid in our heart, too. And um, we're excited what he's up to, excited what he's doing. We moved into our own building about a year ago and uh, went to two services in last fall. And um, we're just um, keeping our eyes on Christ. I tell my people all the time, we have a front row seat to watch God move, and that's what it is. It is him, he's the one doing it, and we're blessed to um, continue um, just to see what he is doing. What we say every week at our church, and I know you say it here, is open your Bibles, so why don't you get those Bibles out and go to Mark chapter 14, Mark chapter 14. Uh, The title of my message today is, How Do You Handle Failure? Because how you handle failure will shape who you are. Listen, no one is perfect. If you're new here this morning, this is your first time, then realize you have not come to a perfect church. And if you went to my church in Pittsburgh, it'd be the same thing. We're not perfect people. And so when we fail, that can either make you stronger or it can be a ball and chain that never leaves your ankle. Now, let's just be clear right up front what I mean by failure. I'm not talking about if you took a test and you failed that test or you started a business and and you failed in that. Yes, can we learn lessons from that? And can God challenge us and grow us in those things? Yes. But I wanna talk today, when we say failure, I wanna talk about spiritual failure. In your life, you sinned. You, You did something that you know you should not have done that went against God's will. You know, maybe it was an individual circumstance or an event that happened. That maybe you broke a relationship because of an outburst of anger or of lying. Or maybe it was a moral failure. Or maybe it was a cowardly response to when someone asked you about your faith. Or maybe you treated someone in a wrong way that you know you should not have. Or maybe it was a more consistent failure. Maybe it was an addiction to pornography or a continual lack of faith in your Christian life. Or maybe it's a continual anger problem that continues to come up. And this failure keeps taking you down. What do you do when you fail? What do you do when you feel like you have no right to get back up? When you feel like you have disappointed Christ in your life and how you have lived and what you have done? 
And because of that, you, you says, this is just who I am, and I'm just going to kind of step over here to the side today. You know, the story that I want to tell you this morning is for those who have fallen, for those who are not perfect Christians. I, I, the story I want to tell you this morning is for those who, when you do fail, you think that you have to do all these good works in order to get back in right standing with God. In order to get him to approve of you, you have to do all these right things and give and and serve and and then maybe he'll accept you again. My my prayer and desire today is to encourage you and to show you the incredible, matchless, unparalleled grace of God. I want to share with you a story of redemption this morning, of one of the greatest ones that I see in the scriptures of how God restores and revives and redeems a life. Now, let me say this first. If you're here this morning and you say, Jeremiah, this is kind of my first time to church, or I was with some family over 4th of July and they kind of dragged me here this morning, they told me we were going out to eat and I ended up here. Listen, I am so glad that you're here this morning. And the food is after this. I'm sure there are a lot of places you can go out after But listen, I'm so grateful that you've come this morning, and I believe that God has brought you here this morning, that you maybe you're seeking, maybe you don't fully understand this Christian stuff. You don't understand everything that they sang or or what took place, even as we took communion this morning, and you're still trying to figure this out. Or maybe you know what the gospel is. You know that Christ died on the cross and that he took your sin and he rose from the grave and you understand the gospel, but you've never embraced the gospel. Listen, I believe this message is for you this morning also because I want you to see my Savior this morning. I want you to see how my Savior responds when we fail, when we miss up. I want you to see the forgiveness of my Savior and how amazing that it is. And so that's where we're going this morning. So if you're with me, say, let's go. Here we go. Pick up in Mark chapter 14 is where we're at this morning. Now, just to kind of get you caught up to that, this is Jesus. He's in the middle of the last week of his life. And Mark chapter 11 was the triumphal entry. He just rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. People are praising him. In Mark chapter 12 and Mark chapter 13, Jesus is doing some teaching. And then we get to Mark chapter 14. At the beginning, in verses 1 and 2, we see that the scribes and the chief priests, they're trying to look for a way to destroy Jesus. They know that the people are starting to follow him. They don't like it. And so they are looking for a way to destroy him. In chapter 10, Judas, or verse 10, excuse me, Judas Iscariot says, I've had enough of this, and goes and betrays Jesus. He finds the chief priests and the scribes, and and they pay him some money, and so it's set up for him to betray Jesus. In verse 12, we see the disciples go and prepare the Passover. Uh, They prepare um, the feast that is going to take place there. In verse 22, we see how Jesus teaches about the breaking of the bread and the blood. And as we just did this morning, Jesus teaches his disciples the first time this has taken place here. And then verse 26 says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And so here they they leave the room and they sing this hymn and they start to head out. And as they're walking to the Mount of Olives, Jesus starts to have a conversation with his disciples. And Peter really is the one that speaks up here. Let's read our verses this morning, verse 27. And Jesus said to them, 
you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee, verse 29. Peter said, now if you're new to church, you say, who is this Peter guy? Peter is one of the 12 disciples. And Peter, he always has something to say. I mean, anytime Jesus said something, Peter's always there at the front. He's always communicated, always said. Most of the time it was the wrong thing, but Peter always had something to say. And so here Jesus says, listen, you're going to all scatter. Something's going to take place. Now Jesus had communicated to the disciples that he had to die. They didn't quite get it yet. But Jesus here again says, listen, you're going to scatter. And Peter speaks up in verse 29 and says, even though they all fall away, so he kind of looks at the disciples, the other 11 or 10 at this time, because Judas Iscariot was already gone, looks at the other 10 and says, they might fall away, but I will not. And Jesus looked right at Peter and said, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. So Jesus turns to Peter after Peter makes this declaration and says, listen, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Peter kind of, I believe, kind of pokes his chest back out and says, but he said emphatically, which means over and above. He didn't just kind of listen to what Jesus just said. No, he went over and above and said, no, no, no. He said, if I, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Here's the first thing that I, I want you to see is where I, I believe it started with Peter is that he became overconfident. And so the truth that I want you to see is this, that Satan desires to destroy you. Don't be overconfident. You say, Pastor, where does it say that Satan was the one that was trying to destroy him? In the Gospel of Luke, the parallel passage to this account when Luke tells the story, he adds one more phrase that Jesus says during this time. He, he says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. You see, what, Satan wanted to destroy Peter. He, he wanted to ruin him. He wanted to sift him like wheat. You say, Jeremiah, what, what is that? Okay, they didn't have tractors back then, and so what they would do is they'd get the wheat, they'd put them in a big pile, and here's a, here's a picture of kind of what they would do. They would take their pitchforks, and they would take the wheat, they'd throw it up in the air, and the wind would kind of blow the dirt and the bad stuff out, and the wheat would fall back. And so they would just kind of continue to do this over and over again, and toss and turn this wheat. So, say, so Jesus is using this illustration and saying, Satan, that's what he wants to do to your life. He wants to toss you around. He wants to shake, he wants to shake you up, Peter. He wants to destroy you, Peter. Listen, you ever felt like you have been shaken by Satan? You, you ever felt like he has just kind of tossed you around? It, it says in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may stand against the schemes of the devil. The word schemes there means trickery or deceit. You realize that Satan is out there trying to destroy you. And we must not be fooled that Satan wants to destroy us. And we don't have to allow Satan to have some sneak attack on us. 
We must stand firm as that verse says there. We have to know that he is looking to destroy us like a lion is looking to destroy his prey. In the book of 1 Peter, Peter later on wrote a book that we have later on in the New Testament and in 1 Peter chapter 5, Satan says, uh, he says, be sober and watchful because your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, I can't but help think that when Peter coined those words, he was thinking back when Jesus said, Satan wants to sift you like wheat, Peter. He, he wants to toss you around. He wants to devour you, Peter. Satan was looking to devour him, to bring him down. You say, Jeremiah, how did he do that? How, how, how did Satan bring Peter down? I, I believe Peter was overconfident. Look back at our text. Look at these verses. Even though they fall away in verse 29, I will not. Verse 31, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. You see, I, you see, Jeremiah, wasn't he just kind of being bold there? No, I think he was overconfident. I, I mean, it was just verses before that when they were in the Passover having their dinner that Jesus said, someone's going to betray me, and they all said, is it me? Is it me? But here they start walking, and just picture, Jesus looks at him and says, you all are going to scatter. And, and Peter says, no, 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 I'm not going to scatter. And then Jesus looks right at Peter I mean, this is the man that Peter has seen part waters and or walk on the water and, and break bread and, and, and turn fish into and feeding thousands. You think you might listen to him a little bit. And here Jesus looks and says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And emphatically, Peter sticks out his chest and goes, no, I will not do that. You say, Jeremiah, what should have Peter said? Maybe he should have said, Jesus, help me. Jesus, I, I, I'm weak. Show me, help me. Show me how to be strong. But instead, it was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I, I, there's no way I'll do that. I, I believe Peter was overconfident. Listen, you ever been overconfident in your life? There's a little verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. that says, therefore, let anyone thinks that he stands, take heed lest he fall. What's he saying? He's saying, don't be overconfident. Now, listen, we're not afraid. We don't back down. You see, overconfidence is this. Overconfidence is when we start to put our trust in our strength instead of God's word and the Spirit's promptings. That's what to be overconfident is. We start to put it in our own strength. Our trust is in what we can do instead of God's word and the spirit promptings. You see, Jesus tried to tell Peter, listen, Peter, this is what you're going to do. Uh, Peter said, no, I'm not going to listen to that. Listen, we do the same thing. We think we're pretty good. We think we can handle the situation. We think we're running our family pretty well. We think we can lead this ministry. I mean, it's pretty successful. We think we can serve in this area on our own strength. We look at what we're giving and say, man, I'm doing a good job in this Christian life. Man, family's doing well. I'm serving. Everything's going pretty good. And it is when we become self-confident that we have opened a door for Satan to come and to destroy us. You say, Pastor, it seems like self-confidence can come in and take over so quick. What can I do? What can I do to help me stand? And so I don't fall into self-confidence. 
I think there's a couple things. I think one, have accountability. Listen, not just to be part of a small group, but if you put people into your life that know and that you listen to and that are willing to hold you accountable, the reason why many would not jump into a small group because they don't see the importance of accountability and why they need it. Is that your church is just like ours. We really push for people to be involved in a small group. And it's, but we sit there and go, I don't kind of really need that. You know, Sunday morning's good for me. Listen, the best time to place accountability in your life is when you think you don't need it. For it's when you start to take that wrong path that you have people around you saying, no, 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 you need to get back. You see, accountability is a prevention against sin. And it's when we get overconfident that we kind of push accountability out of the way. Listen, beware when we start trusting our own strength over God's word and the Spirit's promptings. We need each other. Accountability, other is to walk in humility. Peter says that also in his book. He says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Listen, we continue to walk in an attitude of humility to saying, God, it's not about me. I can't do it. And then the third way I think we overcome self-confidence is we have to stay close to this book right here. If this is God's word and how he wants us to live, then we stay close to God's word and what he says. Church, listen, anyone who thinks that he stands, take heed lest he falls. Peter didn't listen to Jesus. Peter didn't ask him any questions. He just said, no, this is not what I'm doing. So Jesus and them, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane in verse 32. verse 43, Jesus is betrayed by Judas. And then skip down to verse 66. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest, and that is the high priest Annas, came and seeing Peter warning himself, she looked at him and said, you also are with the Nazarene Jesus, verse 68. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. There's his first denial. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and again, began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. There's the second one. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. Verse 71, but he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. A second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you would deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. The second thing I want you to see is that Peter answered out of fear, which led him to his failure. So our second point is this, circumstances will challenge you, don't answer from fear. Circumstances will challenge you, don't answer from fear. Listen, Peter was not in the wrong place. Peter wasn't doing anything that he shouldn't have been doing while he was there. I mean, think about Peter's day just for a second. I mean, he got the Passover meal ready. He found the place, got the meal ready. They had the Passover with Jesus. I mean, it was an emotional Passover. I mean, at the beginning, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Peter didn't want him to do that. 
So he goes through that, and then while they eat, Jesus talks about how someone's going to betray him, and, and they all wonder, is it me? So he goes through that emotional turmoil. And then they start to walk to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus looks at Peter and says, you're going to deny me three times. And then he goes back on that. And then they get to the garden, and Jesus takes three of them with them farther in and says, hey, will you pray with me? And Jesus goes and prays and comes back, and they're sleeping, and Jesus wakes them again and says, will you pray with me? And so even though they're tired, they're supposed to be praying, and they keep falling asleep. Well, Judas finally comes with the Roman soldiers and starts to take Jesus, and Peter doesn't want to happen, so Peter takes his sword out and chops the guy's ear off. Jesus picks up and heals the ear, and all the disciples run. So you think of all this that Peter's going through. It says that he's following Jesus from a distance. So here he comes into this courtyard. He comes into this place, and he's asked. He's challenged. You see, I don't think Peter's response came from his heart. I think it came out of fear. Be careful when you start responding out of fear. That there are warning signs that we see that Peter gives up, that we can help and even identify for ourselves. I mean, one of the warning signs here is, listen, if you don't want to be identified with Jesus, you're probably going to start responding out of fear. He didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus at that time. You also, we see that he, he did it once. He made the first mistake. The rooster even crowed. But he still didn't want anything to do. He also, then we see he starts to curse himself. Bring harm upon himself is what that means. He still responded out of fear. You say, Jeremiah, I mean, give him a break. He's by himself. I know a lot of times when you watch some of the Christian films about Jesus and you see Judas or see Peter by himself, that's really not true. If you study in the Gospel of John, it says that there was another disciple there. It says that the chief priest allowed the other disciple to come. And in the Gospel of John, most commentators believe that when it's talking about this other disciple, it's talking about John himself. And it actually says in the Gospel of John that John told the servant girl to go and to get Peter and told the servant girl, let him come in. So John is right there next to Jesus, tells the servant girl, let Peter come so he can come and stand next to Jesus. And Peter still wanted nothing to do with it. You see, sometimes we're like, well, man, at least he was the disciple that was there. No, John was right next to Jesus. But Peter still responded out of fear and was afraid that if he stepped in, what would happen? Listen, when we are afraid, we make decisions that we thought we would never make. Church, listen, the only way to get victory or to conquer fear is to get a greater view of who God is. You think about it, where was the safest place for Peter to be? Right next to Jesus. I mean, if he would have really understood that this Jesus, I mean, he, part, he walked on the waters. I mean, this Jesus healed the leper, cast out the demon possessed. Where was the safest place for him to be? Would have been right next to Jesus. But I really believe that Peter's view of Christ was still really small. Because we see later on, when he gets a greater view of who God is, the boldness that he has in his life. When he gets a greater view of what Christ did, the boldness that comes. But right here at this passage, no, he was still, he, he only kind of saw Christ as, as just this human being. Not as the one, the savior of the world. 
And church, the same is with us. If we want to conquer fear, the only way you're going to conquer fear is if you get a greater view of who God is. If you see who he is, who Christ is, what he has done, and what he wants to do in your life, that we can conquer fear. You see, Peter didn't get this yet. So he denied Christ. But that's not the end of the story. But just just think again how Peter would have felt. The last words there in our text, it says, and he broke down and and wept. Listen, what must... What must have been going through his mind? Can you imagine what he must have felt? Listen, my ministry's done. I just denied Christ. He's in the worst part of his life. He's about to go to a cross. He's he's about to be tried and killed. And and I denied him. Peter runs off. He weeps. I'm just going to be benched for the rest of my life. And, And most would have just quit right there. Listen, think about the time when you failed. Think about what you've done in your life and how easy it is for us just to kind of beat ourselves down and say, you know, I did this, I responded like this, I acted like this, or this even was what I did prior in my life, and there's no way that Christ will ever use me. There's no way. I have failed him so many times. I have failed him miserably. There's no way that Christ can use my life. I'll just sit over here on the bench, cheer everybody else on, but there's no way that Christ will use Jeremiah. You know, we all have times that we can look back in our life that we wish we would have done this. We didn't do this right. And we failed. And most of the time what I see Christians doing is just beating themselves up and thinking I'll never be used by God again because of what I have done. Is that what Jesus did with Peter? Go to Mark chapter 16. In Mark 15 is Jesus goes to the cross. His victory is won at the cross where he conquers sin. What we celebrated even this morning. And the exclamation point was in the resurrection which we see at chapter 16. The ladies come to the tomb and the stone is rolled back and the angels are there on the tomb. And they say, Do not be alarmed in verse 6. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and who? And Peter. Go and tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. Listen, here's the next truth that you need to see. Is Jesus will restore you. Don't stay defeated. Listen, I can just imagine the ladies going back to the disciples and coming in and saying, listen, the stone, it was rolled away and Jesus, he's not there anymore and the angels, they told us we should go to Galilee and we're gonna meet him there at Galilee. So come on, disciples, we need to go. And I can imagine them getting up and starting to walk out except for Peter, he's still sitting in the corner. So I can't go. I, I mean, I, I denied Christ three times. He, knows he doesn't wanna use me anymore. He might use you, but he's not gonna use me. Because it even says in the Gospel of John that the third time when Peter denied Christ that Jesus turned around and looked at him in the face. Can you imagine that burning on his face and his eyes when he closed his eyes to see Christ looking at him after he just denied? I'm sure he was in that room just saying, no, I I, I can't go. 
And then the ladies look at him and say, no, Peter, this is what the angel said. The angel said, tell the disciples and Peter. They wanted to make sure that you knew, Peter, that you were supposed to come also. Because Christ knew that Peter probably was ready to pout and just to give up. But no, Peter, you come also. And we see that when Jesus and Peter make that face-to-face in John chapter 21, that they're sitting down around the campfire and Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. And then he asks him a second time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Peter says. And then he asked him a third time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. Say, Jeremiah, why did Christ keep asking him? I really believe that he was restoring and redeeming Peter. Peter, you denied me three times. I'm gonna ask you three times, do you love me? Yes, okay, let's put that in the past. You love me, I have forgiven you, I have restored you. Listen, what what do you do when you fail Jesus? You know, Jesus had already told Peter what he was supposed to do. I read some of this verse earlier. It says there at the end of Luke 22, it says, when you have turned again, this happened even before he denied Christ. When you have turned again, what did he say? Peter, listen, when you have turned again, you're going to sit on the sideline and watch because you're not fit anymore. Peter, when you turn again, you're never going to be able to lead again. Peter, when you turn again, understand that you're lesser of a Christian than everybody else. Uh, Peter, when you turn again, what does he say? He says, when you turn again, strengthen your brothers. Listen, lead, minister. You're not on the sideline anymore. You're not giving up. So what do you do when you fail Jesus? Listen, you get back up and change the world. That's what you do. That's what Peter did. God wasn't finished with his life. This wasn't the end of his story. And if you turn, and we won't take time, but if you go to the book of Acts, it's there at Pentecost when Peter stands up and delivers this incredible message that the start of the church took place and thousands came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That God used Peter. In Acts chapter four, there's an incredible story that after Peter preached this message, the scribes and the Pharisees, they didn't like what he was doing. And so they captured Peter and John, and they put them in prison, and it says the next day they stood before Caiaphas, Annas, and the, high, and the elders. Now listen, who was it that Peter, when he denied Christ, Jesus and John were standing before these people? When he denied Christ back in the corner, so, so now he's back in Jerusalem, The same man is standing right there in front. John is right there. That servant girl could have been there if she was around her master. So God put Peter almost back in the same spot where he should have been standing weeks ago when Jesus was next to John. And they asked Peter and John, they said, who has given you this power? And I I can just imagine John starting to talk and Peter going, no, John, I got it this time. And can you imagine what would have taken place in Peter's mind as he sees who was standing before him and John and remembering what took place last time when he denied Christ and here he stands again and it says he is filled with the Holy Spirit in John 4 and he declares that Christ is the only name by which one can be saved. And you talk about redemption. 
You talk about Christ giving Peter another chance. Saying, Peter, I know you failed here, but listen, I'm going to use you to change the world. Listen, what do you do when you fail Jesus? Do you give up? Or do you sit there and say, God, I want you to use me. You see, God is the God of the second chance. God is a God who restores. Your failure may be in an event in your life, but it does not have to be your destiny. It may be an event that took place, but it does not have to be the scarlet letter on your chest that you can never be redeemed from. Church, are there consequences sometimes for our failure? Yes. If you commit adultery, there's consequences. If you go out and kill somebody, there's consequences. But do they have to defeat you? No. You see, failure made Peter stronger and more fit for battle. Say, Jeremiah, then do I fail so I become more fit for battle? No, God forbid it says in Romans 5. Don't do that. You don't sin just so that grace is poured upon your life. But listen, when you fail, when you do sin, God lavishes his grace upon our life. He lavishes his mercy upon our life. He says, I will restore you. I will get you back. Don't stay defeated. Don't stay defeated. I read an article by a pastor, and he gave, um, he, he gave these spiritual laws. He says the spiritual laws of progress are this. Don't go back. You can't stay here. I must go forward. You know what I found a lot of Christians, when they come to the place where they fail, yeah, they don't want to go back, but most of them just stay right where they're at. I messed up. Yeah, Christ saved me, but I've done so many bad things, or I've messed up here with my family, I've messed up in this situation, I'm just going to stay right here. Listen, our attitudes must be, I can't go back, I won't stay here, and I'm going to move forward. That's what Peter did. And I think it's an example and an illustration for all of us to see. Yes, don't let Satan cripple you in thinking that your failures have removed you from your ability for Christ to really use you in this life. Failure may happen, but it does not have to define you for the rest of your life. It didn't define Peter. And we can get back up and turn this world upside down because of Christ's mercy and grace. So let me ask you, what will you do with failure? What will you do with failure? It breaks my heart to see so many Christians believe that God will never use them again or God can never use them in a great way because of what they have done in their life. And Satan has used that to cripple so many Christians and holding them back. When God is saying, listen, my mercy and grace has been lavished, will you get up and change the world that you're in? Peter was a fisherman, uneducated. He denied Christ three times, and God used him to change the world. Are you letting your failure hold you back? Are you letting your failure hold you back? Say, Jeremiah, what do I do? Listen, repent. Embrace his forgiveness. And get up and change your world. Don't, don't sit around. There's an old hymn that if you grew up in church, you've probably sung before. And it's, I have decided to follow Jesus. Listen, do you realize that every day of your life you have to get up and say, God, I want to follow you. 
God, I want, to use, I want you to use me today. God, I don't want to be crippled by my past. I embrace your forgiveness, and God, I want to follow you. No turning back. God, I, I want to know you. I want to seek after you. Listen, maybe you're here today, and, and failure has held you back from what you know you should be doing for Christ, and you keep on thinking, because you have done that, or because you act in this way, there's no way that Christ can use you. Listen, will you get up and follow Christ? Embrace his mercy, his forgiveness, and his grace. So maybe you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ. You've never met him at the first time at the cross. And I hope that you have seen a loving Savior who, yes, took your sin upon the cross and offers the free gift of eternal life all those who call upon his name. Maybe you're here today and say, Jeremiah, there's nothing that's really, I I see holding me back or any failure that right now, then listen, get up and change this world. We have too many people that are just sitting around when there's a world out there that Jesus wants to use you. You say, oh no, he's gonna use you, you're a pastor. No, he wants to use you. Will you get up and do something for his glory? Don't let anything hold you back. Yes, not being self-confident who you are, it's not because of your strength, it's because the spirit that lives inside of you, but yes, we are more than conquerors. And I don't care who you are and what you've done, Christ wants to use you. Will you get up and make a difference for him and his glory? Will you pray with me? Father, I come before you right now. Lord, I thank you for the story of Peter. I thank you for his life. And God, I thank you for just what, how you redeemed and how you restored him. And God, I, I believe that there are people that are sitting here today. God, they need to hear that because they've just thinking they're on the bench. God, I believe you put this message on my heart because there are people that are just sitting and not doing anything and Satan has just pulling them back. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would do what only you can do in your life. Show them your love. Show them your mercy. Show them your grace. God, show them that Christ truly is enough and that they would get up and choose to follow you no matter what. Lord, for your glory, Lord, let us be people that change this world. In the name of Jesus, I do pray. Amen.